church family. My name is Jen Wood, and I get the privilege of leading our children's ministry here. And today I have a couple of dates that I want to get on your radar screen. Um, these are really important events coming up in the life of our church. And the first is on October 28th. It's our annual trunk or treat. And it's really one of a few times where we, um, it is a community-wide event, and we will have well over a 1,000 people up here on our hill with us that night. And we still need a lot of trunks and a lot of treats. And so if you would like to help with that, um, I know our form to volunteer was a little glitchy this week, but it has been fixed. So if you were wondering if we still need help, we do. So you can go back to that form and sign up. If you have any questions, find me this morning. I'm happy to help answer those questions. And the other date that I want you to remember is Friday night, November 10th. It is one of our worship nights, and it's a wonderful opportunity to come together, not only to celebrate God's faithfulness and um, give back to him in worship, but to encourage each other in that as well. So mark your calendars for Friday night, November 10th. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Kevin Paul. Um, I am one of the drummers, so normally when I'm up here, I am trapped behind that cage back there, but they let me out today. Um, so I come before you now as a candidate on the journey to become an elder, um, and I have the privilege of reading scripture with you. Um, and let me remind you, if you do not have a Bible that is your personal one, we do have them here, so please take one. It is free for you. Um, we want you to have that. Read it, not just on a Sunday. To do that. Um, so this morning we are in Hebrews. We will be reading from chapter 3. So join with me. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was in all God's household. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors, ancestors tested me, tried me, and saw my work for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked to anger with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Watch out brothers and sisters so that there won't be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. For we have become participants in Christ 
we hold firmly until the end of reality that we had at the start. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who heard and rebelled? Wasn't it all who came out of Egypt under Moses? With whom was God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed him? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your written word that we have. It was true when it was written. It is still true today. Thank you that we have it in our language, that we can read and study it. Holy Spirit, please open up our minds that we could understand this, open our hearts to accept it and apply it to our lives. And Jesus, thank you so much for being our high priest and our mediator that we can come to the Father through you. Please speak through Frank as he brings us the message today and we can apply it to our lives and be moved. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. And now, Frank. Go back to your cage, man. <laughs> we ain't letting him out anymore, that's for sure. <laughs> If you couldn't find Hebrews 3 at this point, I mean, we gave you some time, but there's there was a QR code even, so if not, that's okay. You just keep s turning the page. You'll get there eventually. Um, just don't stand up and shout, I got it, when you finally get it, okay? Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for being bigger fans of being in community and corporate worship than for the Ravens. Appreciate you all. <laughs> One applause, that's always awesome. <laughs> Um, it's easy. If it was the Patriots, you wouldn't have any question of what you should do. Go to church or watch a Patriots game because we stink. Um, but that's all right. So, hey, Hebrews chapter 3. Um, <laughs> um, actually, it kind of correlates with the whole Patriots thing. Uh, I wore uh, a Patriots, um, I was just about to say an outfit, but that sounds kind of crazy. I wore a sweatshirt. It was Patriots. And started getting mocked in, uh, in, in Frederick this past weekend uh, for wearing a Patriots sweatshirt and and I, and I did actually make a comment about you know what am I supposed to do just ditch the team that I've always followed because they're terrible this year I mean they gave me 20 good years what have the Ravens done for you in the last 20 oh that's right I'm sorry. Um, and 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 it wasn't received very well um, but the fact that I was being pressured to turn my back on something that I've been following for so very long is kind of what's going on in Hebrews in the book of Hebrews, what's happening is there are people who are tempted to return to something that they were once a part of and to turn their back on what they have found to be true in Jesus Christ. They, were, they just weren't sure if Jesus, was he the answer? Was he not the answer? Maybe is he the only answer? Maybe I do Jesus plus something else. Maybe I do all these things. So, so whoever gave us this wonderful book of Hebrews, um, really in, in his words, grabbed the those shaky Christians by the shoulders and gave them a good shake. and said, no, 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 stay anchored in Jesus. That's the message of the entire book of Hebrews. And that's the message that should be being communicated by each and every one of you sitting in here this morning to people you love who are also following Jesus. And that's going to be the point 
of the morning. But it's going to take us a minute to get there. Okay? If you look at, at, at the beginning of chapter 3, what, what happens is the author of Hebrews kind of continues his train of thought where he says, listen, I, I don't care what you hold up next to Jesus. What you're going to find is that Jesus will always be better. Jesus will, will always be greater. So if you take any of the Old Testament prophets and put him next to the prophets, Jesus wins. You take any of the angels, you put them next to Jesus, Jesus wins. You take any of humanity, put them next to Jesus, Jesus wins. And then today, in the first six verses of chapter 3, the author says, take Moses. I mean, and you got to remember, he's speaking to people who, when they thought of Moses, they were thinking like Elvis. Okay? Not only a historical figure, but a historical figure who had actually grown not just in fame but in clout. A historical figure who every person knew. A historical figure who every person was like, yeah, that's the OG guy. Moses. And the author of Hebrews says, Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than anything. And then he begins to unpack it. Think about the mission of Moses, if you will. I'm going to take a million slaves plus out of Egypt. I'm going to lead them through the wilderness. I'm going to bring them to this place of rest, this place called the promised land. And, and that's what Moses is known for. He is, he's known for leading these people through the wilderness. And let me ask you a question. When it comes to judging Moses based on his efficiency and fulfilling his mission, how did he do? They didn't make it into the land. Why? Well, the end of chapter 3 tells us the reason they didn't make it in the land, verse 19, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. It doesn't matter what happened along the way. Well, the, the proof, and this is a goofy saying, the proof was in the pudding. I meant to look that up to see what that actually meant. I'm sure it's something profound. The reality is at the end of the day when it was like, okay, let's see how this went. Nobody gets to enter into the promised land. That did not go very well. Why didn't they get to enter the promised land? Because of unbelief. And there's two verses that we actually have to just mention and deal with very quickly so that none of you walk out of here even the slightest bit confused. And I promise to not aid in your or add to your confusion at all. Verse 6, Christ was faithful as a son over his household. And we are that household if we hold on to our confidence and the hope in which we boast. Verse 14, we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly until the end the reality that we had at the start. So what has happened is people have seen these verses and actually complicated these verses because they try to import a meaning into those verses that doesn't exist. So, so, so the, here, let, me, let me teach you what it actually is saying and not worry about what it's not saying. What it's saying is instead of once saved, always saved, it's saying Always saved means you were once saved. He's looking at it backwards, and he's saying, if these people walked into the promised land, what you could have said about them is look at the faith they have. Look at how they believed in God to provide for them along the way because ultimately they ended up where they were supposed to be. But because of their disbelief, they didn't end up there. Please understand this. Your ultimate hope is not in yourself. And for too many of us, we're like, man, I just got to believe more. I just don't believe enough. I don't have a strong enough faith. I just don't trust enough. I just want to stop. You can't save yourself. And if your hope is in how much you believe, your hope is going to be as fickle as your hunger is. Stop. 
Your hope doesn't, doesn't come down when, when, when or your hope isn't wrapped up in when you get all excited about a community of people with shared values, shared, shared morals, shared goals, and you want to align yourself with them. You're like, yes, there's my hope. Your hope isn't in that because they can change their minds. Your hope isn't in the fact that you, you regularly attend church so God must look at you as a better person, right? Your hope isn't in the fact that you took communion or you get baptized. It isn't that you raise your hands in worship. It's not because you talk to somebody back in our prayer corner after the service. Your hope doesn't come down to the fact that your, your salvation is anchored in the date that is written in the front of your Bible that you prayed the sinner's prayer. That's not your hope. Your hope's in Jesus. That's what we just sang about. Great is his faithfulness to us. If it's counting on our faithfulness to him, we're in trouble. Our anchor won't hold. But in Jesus it will. Because the, the hope of our salvation is that, that Jesus lived a life and fulfilled the law with his perfect life and then he died a death in our place and then he rose again from the grave declaring victory over sin. It's recognizing that, that what God is doing is calling you to himself and he's calling you to himself through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And at that call, instead of neglecting it, instead of ignoring it, you listen to it and you run to him. And when your salvation is this, not you grabbing onto his leg, your salvation is him gladly picking you up and holding you. Your salvation is this, is evidenced by a belief that continues, a belief that goes on. But okay, Frank, listen, here's the problem. I don't remember a time, I don't remember a, a place, I don't remember the date that I put my faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean? Nothing. I don't remember what time I ate dinner yesterday. Does that mean I didn't eat it? Seriously, as goofy as a question is, that's the reality. What are you doing right now? If you were to stand in front of God right now, what brings you peace with him? What brings you the, the right to come into his presence? If your answer, if your answer is anything but Jesus, you don't have an answer that you can give to God. If your answer is Jesus plus something else, you don't have an answer to give to God. The only reason you have peace with God, the only thing that gives you the right to come into his presence is Jesus and Jesus alone. It doesn't matter when you did it. So, so please understand that if you doubt your salvation, if you wrestle with your salvation because you don't remember a time, answer this question right now. What is your hope of salvation in? If your answer is Jesus and only Jesus, hey, I don't know when it happened, brother, sister, but it happened. Because your salvation is in Christ. But Frank, I have a past. I have a past. I have a, I have a present. And I am far from perfect. Good news. Your hope's not in perfection either. It's not in getting it right all the time. I think the Christian life looks less like Forrest Gump and more like Rocky Balboa. You ever watched Forrest Gump and realize that dude just has a horseshoe around his neck because everything he touches turns to gold. Right? He's in the right place at the right time. He's, he's creating Bubba Gump shrimp. I mean, come on. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life looks like Rocky Balboa. You're getting the tar kicked out of you. Your face is taking all kinds of different shapes. You shouldn't be able to stand up. And yet there you stand at the end victorious shouting, Adrian! Right? <laughs> the Christian life is war. And, it, and let me tell you, brother or sister, if you're sitting here and you're like... <laughs> I'm so struggling. 
I'm, I'm just frustrated, I'm wrestling, I'm just getting beat up all the time. Hey, that, that's not necessarily a sign that you're not a believer. That actually is probably a sign that there's real life inside of you. See, when you're dead to your sin, there is no wrestling. But when you're alive and you're fighting the flesh, that battle rages. So, so listen, I, I, hope, I hope I didn't discourage anybody. I hope I didn't confuse anybody. I, I, I don't ever um, want to talk somebody who's doubting they're standing with Christ. I don't ever want to talk you into something because you can't stand on the confidence of my words. You have to stand on the confidence of your own heart and the acts of Jesus Christ for you. So I hope I, I didn't discourage or frustrate or confuse anybody, but I'm going to be really honest with you. There is no question that as I read chapter 3, that I have the responsibility to not sit idly by as you walk away from Jesus Christ either. That's what the rest of the chapter is about. And I'm going to be really honest with you. The point of chapter 3 is very uncomfortable. Because the point our author is making to us is this. Every single one of us is capable of walking away. That's, that's why he uses the illustration out of Psalm 95. He, he talks about the, the history of the Israelites starting in verse 7. Don't, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like they did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your ancestor tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Because of that, I was provoked to anger with that generation, and I said they'll always go astray in their hearts, and they've not known my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Think about the children of Israel being slaves in Egypt, having Moses show up, having Moses... And you've all seen the Ten Commandments, so you know that this part of the text really well. Let my people go, Charlton Heston said. And he says it over and over again. And Pharaoh's like, sometimes he says no, and he's like, fine, and here comes a plague. Bam. And sometimes he says yes, okay, and then changes his mind. Bam. I mean, imagine being one of the children of Israel in Egypt. You're not, like, standing there listening to Moses and Pharaoh have this conversation. You're living in your tent out in the back 40 somewhere, right? And suddenly you're like, where'd all these frogs come from? Have you noticed a lot of flies lately? What is going on? And word gets around about this miraculous work that God is doing through his leader, Moses. And then, and then it gets to the, the ultimate act where it's like, it's time to go take the, the first take that lamb and, and, and slaughter it, take its blood, put it on the doorpost, and you get inside with your family, and the angel of death is going to pass over, and the firstborn of every family that doesn't have the blood on their doorpost is going to be taken. And, and they hear the crying of the people of Egypt. I, one of the more interesting things that doesn't get talked about a lot in that story is that before that, the children of Israel were instructed to go to their neighbors and get as much silver and gold as they could so they could take it out with them, which is actually hilarious. Think about this. You know what's about to happen, and God says, get some stuff to take with you into the wilderness. Cool. Hey, neighbor Bill, I really like your lawnmower. Can I borrow it tonight? The next day, you're out of there. You never have to bring it back. These people left with gold and silver that wasn't theirs, and yet God used it to enrich his people because God was teaching them everything that exists is actually mine. And if you're walking with me, I'm going to give it to you. So I'm going to entrust it to you. So out they go till they get to the Red Sea. Well, that didn't last very long, did it? 
Now we're standing at the Red Sea. The Egyptians are breathing down their neck. What are we going to do? And it's like, well, we don't know. And Moses and God had the conversation. And then Moses does a staff. And then whoosh, the water stands up. And the children of Israel pass through on dry land. And as they get through, they turn around. They see the Egyptian army coming. And they're in trouble. They know they're in trouble. What are we going to do? How are we going to get away from them? They're still coming. They're coming fast and furious. And God said, I got this. Their enemies have been destroyed. They sing this beautiful hymn. Miriam leads them in this worship. And it's almost two chapters later. And they say, what are we going to do for water, Moses? Didn't you plan this out? You got us out of Egypt, but how are we supposed to take care of the thirst that we have? What are we going to do? God miraculously takes bitter water at Marah. And makes it drinkable. What are we going to do for food, Moses? It would have been better that we die in Egypt next to the pots of meat that we enjoyed. Time out. There was no pots of meat. And if there was, the slaves weren't enjoying it in the slightest. See, they had this, this incredible ability to do what we do. We think back about the good old days. And the problem is, we got half of it right. They were old. But we've made them a lot better in our head than they actually were. Oh, if we would just go back to Egypt, why would you take us out of the wilderness to die? And there, what they saw was God provide manna on the ground every morning. They saw God provide quail so they had meat to eat. They saw God bring water out of a rock. As they made their way through the wilderness, during the day there was this, this pillar of cloud that God's very presence was in as he led them through the wilderness. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. They walked under the very presence of God. They came to the place where they're getting ready to enter into Canaan. And they said, let's send in our 12 spies. And the 12 spies go in and they come back and they're like, oh, it's a beautiful land. And 10 of them say, but there's no chance we survive. We're not going. After seeing plagues, living through the Passover, walking through dry ground on the Red Sea, seeing miraculous manna on the ground every morning, seeing quail come out of absolutely nowhere, water from a rock, walking under the very presence of God, Having God say, this is the land that I have chosen for you. I'm bringing you into it. Be prepared. Let's go. And ten of the spies say no. And the rest of the children of Israel say, we agree with them. And God says, they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Think about that for a second. Unbelief. They saw the power of God. They walked across dry ground. They saw 40 years of works with manna and, and meat and water and a number of other things. They walked under the very presence of God. So, so I'm going to tell you this. They actually did believe in God. They believed in his miracles, but they questioned if God would do what he had promised. Bring them into his land that he had prepared for them and just give it to them. Was God able to do that? Is there something more sure than God's plan for us? Is there something better than this? And after everything they saw in the wilderness, they couldn't bring themselves to believe that God could do this. And as you and I shake our heads, the ones who saw and experienced the wonders of God every day, who didn't make it to the end because they actually didn't believe, 
what we're actually coming face to face with is the reality of our own sinful hearts. You know, if God would just do this, then, well, then actually we'd still be dumb enough to walk away. Um, there's a parable of the rich man, Lazarus, that Jesus is talking about. Um, poor man, Lazarus, sits outside the gate, and then the poor man, Lazarus, and the rich man die, and, and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, and the, the rich man goes to, to Hades, and there's a, a great gulf fixed between them. And the voice of the rich man is crying out to heaven, please, just send somebody back from the dead, and my relatives will believe. And Jesus makes the comment in that parable, no, they won't. And what we get to see is that even though Jesus came back from the dead, they still don't believe. We're all capable of walking away. We're all capable of disbelief. So how do we combat it? So there's two answers in this text. I'm going to mention the first one, give you a couple little things, but we're going to focus on that one next week. And the second one, we're going to spend the rest of our time on. The first one is this. We, we, we protect ourselves from walking away through the word of God. Verse 15, as it said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. As the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word of God, we are commanded to listen to it. Don't ignore it. These are the words of God for you today. He uses his word to prick your conscience, to, to make you aware of areas of sin in your own life. That, and, and when you follow this and when you obey this, then it leads you into that rest that God is promising you. What, what the word of God does is it battles the lies, the deceit of Satan that he is throwing at you every single day. You've got to understand his word is life. Listen to it and obey it. Come back next week for the rest of that. But, but the Holy Spirit's working through the word of God isn't the only thing that keeps us going. Look with me, if you will, at verse 12. The author says this to those who are in danger of falling away. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. The other tool, the other mechanism that God uses to protect us from, from walking away, from turning our back on Jesus, the other one is this, the very voice of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen to this. This is amazing. He says, I want you to exhort one another or encourage each other daily. That word exhort and encourage is a really important word for us to understand. That word is, is in the Greek, and if you remember, they, they took the Greek language, which is what Hebrews was originally written in, and then the translators of Scripture translated that into our English so that we can understand it. And every translator has to go through the process of choosing words that, that match the word and, and communicate the truth to the people who are reading Scripture. And so our translators chose the word encourage. Some of you have a translation that says uh, exhort. Some has admonish. Some have comfort. Here's the Greek word. Here's your Greek lesson for the day. You got to get something out of all that money I spent in seminary. Okay, so it's a Compound word, <coughs> parakaleo, parakaleo. Para means alongside, think parallel, alongside. Kaleo means to call out, to yell, to speak. 
And so you take those two pieces of the word alongside to call out, to yell, to speak, and you put them together, and it's to, to, to call out alongside, to yell alongside. Think about it this way. If you've had kids play sports, you have done this parakaleo thing. Some of you more than others. But I think the best picture of it is a marathon family. Have any of you run a marathon? Raise your hand. I won't mock you. Okay, maybe I will. There's a lot of you. What's wrong with you people? <coughs> Sorry, just kidding. <coughs> so I did a little research this week. Very little. Because <laughs> I'm not planning on running one anytime soon, in case you're wondering. I know you're surprised. But um, <laughs> the, 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 the marathon, when you run a marathon, there's, there's a lot of different places where it's like, oh, it gets really hard here. Um, for most of us, like myself, it'd be like at mile point two. That's like, can't do this. The highest percentage of people drop out of a marathon at mile 20. Not terrible. That's six more to go. But most people drop out at, at mile 20. Now, if your family member runs a marathon, um, and we had friends who ran marathons, uh, what you would do is you would go to the beginning of the race, right? The very beginning. You got this mass of humanity getting ready to go, and all the families are standing on the side, and when that the gun goes off, the families just start screaming, like, oh, you can do it, you got this, yeah, yeah, and they go running out, yeah, I got this. And then you place yourself along the route of the marathon to be the most encouraging person you can possibly be. So that means a significant chunk of people who bring their families to, or family member to run a marathon actually go to mile marker 18 or 19, because they know the research that mile 20 is the one where a lot of people drop out. And they get there, and they are as loud and boisterous as they can be. You got this. You've only got seven more miles to go. Don't you dare give up, or you can't come home. I mean, I'm not sure what they say. That would be what I would say. You've made me stand here for three hours. You better run. I don't know. Um. <laughs> but you can see that picture in your head, can't you? Brothers and sisters. Encourage, shout alongside, be that family member for each other every day while it's still called today. Every Christian is called to do that for every other Christian. There's a reason so that you're not hardened by sin's deception. See, when, we're, when we sin, we're actually being deceived. We're believing a lie that something is more valuable and more precious than Jesus. Sometimes it's a vice, a sin that we pursue. Sometimes it's an addiction. We think it's going to give us more satisfaction than Jesus could. Sometimes it's a desire for something. If, if God's not going to give it to me here, I'm going to get it here, not trusting that his plan is better for me. Sometimes it's a voice. It's an, an influence that we want to have, and so we're going we're gonna to do whatever we can so that other people have to listen to us. What, what, whatever it is, the deception that Satan is throwing at you is this. Consider if Jesus is enough. And sin works overtime trying to tell us that he's not. We need other brothers and sisters to come alongside us and to remind us regularly that Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Don't give up. You only got seven miles left. One foot in front of the other. Just keep running. Just keep going. Don't give up. He says exhort 
Call alongside one another. Encourage, shout, scream to one another if you have to. We've got victory in Jesus. Stop falling for the things that are secondary. Stop falling for the lies of Satan. Now, now ask this question. Who's qualified to do this? Who, who is, what qualifications do they need to be able to speak into your life that way by encouraging you like that? Here's the main qualification. They're not you. And there's a whole host of, of not yous who spend time with you and see things in your life that you can't see. Who are blind to it. Um, I was going to go a direction with an illustration about what you see when you look in the mirror, but, but this one's probably better. I've been doing a lot of research on, on how we hear our own voice, about our voices. Okay. How many of you have ever heard of recording yourself? And you're like, that's not me. Right? You hear that and you're like, what? I don't sound like that. Well, here, there's a reason. Your, the bones in your head, uh, the tissues in your head, uh, enhance the lower frequencies in your voice. So, so when you hear your voice, your voice is much lower, sounds fuller and, and, and deeper than it actually is, the, than actually everybody else hears. So actually, here's the freaky part. You sound more like Mickey Mouse than you realize. Right? So <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I could try. There's no chance it was happening. So, <laughs> so, so, but, but, you're the only one that doesn't hear your voice the same way. Everybody else hears it. It's in the same way. You need these not used to be in your life and speak these truths to you to protect you from the deceitfulness of sin. Please don't fall for. No, I'm good. I don't need anybody. I'm good. I got this. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once said, Adam and Eve were, were deceived when they were perfect, and yet somehow you think you're going to do better than them. Even the most spiritual, the most mature Christian is desperately wicked in their heart and, and needs a mirror. We need, we need someone so intensely in our lives that they see what we're missing. We need to be able to say to people, my, my private life, is your business, <laughs> and vice versa. That's community. All of us need this, and we need it, he says, every day, as long as it's called today. Isn't that a cool statement? As long as it's called today. Uh, that's every day, in case you're wondering. And, and the way that this exhortation, this encouragement, this admonishment, this running alongside you, the way that that happens changes from, from day to day. Because there's some days, let's be honest, you need to be punched in the teeth, right? There's days, somebody just needs to walk up to you and be like, what is wrong with you? And we're going to have a whole line of volunteers like, I'd like to be Frank's accountability partner. <laughs> I see you. <ya. laughs> But then there's days we need somebody just to come alongside us and put their arm on our shoulder and cry with us. You see that in um, John 11, when Lazarus died, and Jesus comes to see Mary and Martha. That's fascinating about that. He sees Martha first, and Martha's like, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus rebukes her pretty harshly. I mean, he teaches her, he rebukes her, it's just like, punch in the teeth. You go like four or five verses later, Mary comes and says the exact same thing. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus begins to weep with her. See, there's days we need the punch. There's days we need the hug. Because every day we are tempted to fall for the lies that surround us. 
We're tempted to fall for the lie that there's more to be gained by disobeying God than by obeying him. (laughs) Every day the voice of the ten spies seems so much louder than the voice of God. And and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm glad you're here. I don't ever want you not to be here. It'd be kind of boring for me just to talk to my wife every Sunday. I mean, I love talking to her, but she'd be like, can you stop preaching at me, please? So I'm glad you're here. But Sunday ain't going to cut it. This doesn't work for this. If you come to Sunday for an hour and even take the most detailed of notes, you're not fulfilling this verse to encourage one another as long as the day is called today. It's it's, it's true for all of us. It's true for all of us. Come on. How many of you make it to Sunday lunch? You're like, I remember the message. I don't. You can't. (laughs) So, So find opportunities. Find opportunities to fulfill this verse in each other's lives. There's lots of them here. We continue to push them out to you. Our digging deeper classes. So, so for example, this past Wednesday, we just did a, a one-night digging deeper class for parenting adult children, and it was wonderful. It was amazing for us to sit here, and what we were able to do is not just like, okay, we're going to listen to somebody lecture. No, we got to share, we got to talk, we got to pray for each other, we got to encourage each other. That's what this is talking about. In two weeks, we're doing a preparing to parent adult children. Kind of do that out of order, but that's okay. Same thing goes. We'd love to have you there. Those, the digging deeper houses, the community groups. Man, oh, uh, I didn't sign up before in September. So get out to that, that connection desk and sign up after this. You need to be involved in these relationships. Because when you look around, sometimes you look around and it's really dark. And sometimes you look around and you're like, I don't know. I'm right on the edge. I am teetering. You need a voice of reason. You need truth to be spoken to you. You need your heart to be pushed towards Jesus because we are walking in the wilderness. And, and we, can, we can find the old ways of life calling out to us, trying to serenade us into thinking that to go back would be better. We need help believing in a world that keeps telling us that he's not. We need help believing that Jesus is better. Before I pray, just look around for a second. You're not alone. Keep going. I have absolutely no idea what you're going through. Not every individual, not even close. I don't even know what I'm going through most days. But you know what I know? That no matter what you stack up in comparison to Christ, he's always greater. Don't you dare forget it. Keep going. As long as God fills my lungs with breath, I'm going to stand in front of you and yell at you to make sure you know. You need to remember Jesus is greater. Keep going. Don't give up. Whether it's difficulty or success or confusion or chaos or disappointment, whatever it is, Jesus is better. Pursue him with everything you have. Father God, thank you for Christ. Thank you for that gift. Thank you that we can come into your presence no matter how little we deserve it. Thank you, Father, that you can be trusted. Thank you that we can continue to learn to trust you more. I pray that we would do just that. Lord, I ask that you would fill our eyes full of who Jesus is. Lord, I pray that that in these moments as we close our time together, that, that you would lift the spirits of the one who might need to be lifted. Remind them of how great Jesus is. So, Lord, I pray you would take, take every ounce of energy we have, open our eyes to the things around us, but most importantly, Open our hearts to know that Jesus is so much better. It's in his matchless name I pray. Amen. Please, we're going to ask that you stand 
and you sing with us. I know this is going to be a new song. Jump right on in because the truth is the truth. Sing it loud. <laughs>